Hey guys. Hey guys. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast, Deeper, Deeper into, into the, the dark, dark, where two friends descend into true crime and the paranormal with all things that are very strange. You have Christina and Stefan hosting this episode and every episode because it's just us. <laughs> Sorry, we're doing the AI robot trend. Mm. <laughs> Hello. Ah, hot pepper. Ah, da, 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 da. Pika, 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 pika. Mmm, <laughs> corn. Glizzy. Oh, thank you for the rose. Mmm, smells so good. Mm-hmm. I hate them. <laughs> I know, and they're making like $25. <laughs> Honestly, such a waste. Ugh, such a waste. You could be giving that to me. I know. To my future Patreon. Period. Period. <laughs> Period. Oh, uh, do the All caps. <laughs> Period. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, hey guys. Thank you for joining us. This is our second episode following up our dual part for the Lizzie Borden case. Oh yeah, part two. Mm-mm. So we're going to... Um, start off with that so we can have a seemingly smooth transition and then lead to mine. But before that, anything happening? Doing okay? How's it going? I'm doing good. Actually, not really. (laughs) I've been dealing with this mouth sore in my mouth. I thought it was tonsillitis or like a common cold, but apparently it's literally just a mouth ulcer that's like right Mm. next to that little tonsil. So it feels exactly similar. So I'm like struggling with like swallowing. And I'm like, that's like my best feature. That's what you're used. Like, honestly, why else would anyone be with you? Honestly, like if I were on Great Pottery or like above my doorway and you were to come in and just be like, what's his um, profession? You'd look up and there's a drawing of me swallowing. Yeah. I'm sorry. I swallow. Don't spit unless you ask. Exactly. It literally states that. It's it's my profession that men come for. And <laughs> what more can you ask for? But I can't even do that. So I'm absolutely useless. Oh. The drama of it the all. The drama. <laughs> well, how about you, love? Um, I'm doing okay. I did get some sad news today that I was telling you about. Oh, yeah. Um, my sister is abandoning me um, with... <laughs> And taking my child away from me. I'm so dramatic. <laughs> but I did state it this way to her as well. Um, but uh, they're going to be moving. And I know she listens to this podcast. So I'm just joking, Sam. Don't come for me. I'm not saying anything bad about you. Um, just that I hate you. <laughs> no. I even made a joke to you. And I was like, hey, I'm kind of glad she's moving. Because I'm getting all this shit for free. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. But yeah, and then I've um, just been dealing with that sadness that I won't have, I won't see Liam as much, my nephew, um, which makes me uber sad, but uh, it'll just force me to try to make the most of the time I have with him, and then um, hopefully I'll be able to go out there and spend time with them. We'll see how that goes. 
Well, with that, let's get into it so I can start yes. hearing. Okay, so I wanted to start off this um, second part with going into a few things um, that I didn't mention on the last episode that I actually read through and discovered. Um, so when I said that um, Bridget Sullivan actually went up to her room to go to rest a little bit because mm-hmm. she wasn't feeling well, um, she actually helped Mr. Borden put on take off his boots and put his slippers on before he went to go lay down and rest in the little um, couch chair thing, living room situation, yeah. little whatever room. Then she went up to her room. Mm. So yeah. Um. Then, of course, she hears the tell the fucking clock from mm-hmm. the whatever the main building courthouse or whatever the fuck the dong dong whatever they sound. So then she hears Bridget come to or what is it? What she call her Maggie? Yeah, the whole family calls her Maggie because that's like, was. That was the last Come one. down. Somebody has killed father. Blah, 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 blah. Well. Um, so they start the investigation. And she's like. Running upstairs to go get the blanket. And apparently. If she was running up the stairs. And she. I don't know. No wait, Hold on. Her friend. The friend of the family that came upstairs she went to go get like a blanket from upstairs of some sort and um she uh gets to like the seventh step and she saw a body or miss abby laying in the bedroom so she's like seventh step down from the second floor and she sees into the bedroom underneath the bed like view wise like oh yeah kind of like she's floor level with her eyesight and she sees into the room a body laying in there and she's like oh damn I remember that was one of the uh, things that they make you look for at the... Mm-hmm. They're like, what do you see from here? You're like, a bedroom? Exactly. Well, she sees the body and that's what happens. I can't wait for us to do this tour. I know. After she does this, she like runs downstairs, tells them about the body. I'm assuming, oh, obviously. And then um, brings them their little blanket. And they cover Mr. Borden. So let's get to the investigation. So um, the first to be questioned was Lizzie, obviously, because she's like the one who said, "My pappy's been murdered." Lord, (laughs) hell! Come, come quick, Maggie. Yeah, Maggie. Fucking friendly. Maggie. Okay, so Lizzie's initial answers to the police officer's questions were at the time were said to have been strange and contradictory. Like, she would say one thing and then they'd ask her again and they would be different. But, I mean, then again, you don't know when somebody's just literally seen his, her father hacked to death. And from what you told us last episode, like, you could see the eyeball mm-hmm. cut in half and stuff, so yeah, he was like, pretty gruesome. Fucked up, like, eyeball was split in half and it was just hanging right there of his face it was a lot well especially a lot if you're the one who did it mm. oh baby okay. allegedly <laughs> allegedly <laughs> so initially she had reported hearing a groan or a scraping noise or a distress call before entering uh, the house 
Two hours later, she told police she had heard nothing and entered the house, not realizing that anything was wrong. Mm. Interesting. When asked where her stepmother was, she recounted Abby receiving a note asking her to visit a sick friend. She also stated that she thought Abby had returned and asked if someone could go upstairs and look for her. Oh, I just realized that. I guess Abby got the sick friend note versus Lizzie. I thought Lizzie left to go. Yeah, I thought Lizzie went to go check on her sick friend and came back. My bad. I'm sorry, guys. You're probably like, You're, you, get your shit right instead. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I guess Abby received the note. Okay. So Abby came back from visiting her sick friend. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or, no, she never even visited the friend, actually. Because she went upstairs immediately to go and clean up the room for uh, their guest, which was um, Mr. Borden's brother. Okay. So I don't think she actually made it to her friend's house to go check. Well. So she's a suspect as well? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I mean. She also stated that she thought Abby had returned and asked if someone could go upstairs and look for her. Sullivan, um... And a neighbor, Mrs. Churchill, were halfway up the stairs, and their eyes level with the floor when they locked in, locked it into the guest room, or Mr. Burden brother's room, John, that room. And that's when they saw Abby lying face down on the floor. So I guess Mr. Um, Sullivan went with... Uh, oh, Sullivan went with the neighbor, the friend of the family, upstairs. That's how they saw it. Oh, yeah, because she originally said, I'm not going anywhere in this house alone. Because, <laughs> I mean, there could be a killer. Yeah. Hiding in, like, a closet or some shit. Ooh, that's BTK feeling. Mm, honestly. Um, pretty much any serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> honestly. Um, so, like I said, halfway up the stairs or the seventh stair from the top of the floor, they saw the body on the floor. Um, most of the officers who interviewed Lizzie reported that they disliked her attitude. Some said she was too calm and poised. Despite her behavior and changing alibis, she was not checked for bloodstains. Police, however, did search her room. But it was a cursory inspection at the trial. They admitted to not doing a proper search because Lizzie was not feeling well. Sorry, my cat's eating. Yeah, I was like, all I hear is... He's having those little crunchies. It's okay, we love him. It's okay, Winter. You enjoy your num-nums. Okay, so they admitted they didn't do a good job of checking for him. They just, like, probably went in, looked for a killer, anything suspicious, and they're like, okay, bye, deuces. No man hiding in here. Because <laughs> you know back then only men killed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And she's a good Christian woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they didn't do a proper search, however, because Lizzie had reported not feeling well. She was like, oh, please, sir, can you hurry up? I'm not feeling well. Just hurry up. Yeah, but also there's bodies in here, so no, I can't. <laughs> not only that, but you're saying that you don't feel well, yet you were just playing tricks on Maggie or Bridget. Because mm-hmm. remember, she was giggling when... Oh, she was laughing at the whole door stopped. Yeah. Door locked. Trying so to let obviously Mr. someone doesn't have... Gordon in. Yeah. Because if you were, you know, filling the vapors or whatever, you'd be up in your bedroom laying down. 
Honestly. Yeah, that's a good cue, because she was talking to Bridget before uh, Bridget went up to her room and to help Mr. Borden and whatnot. Like, after she helped Mr. Borden put on his slippers, she was, like, doing her stuff and wanted finishing her chores. And Lizzie was, like, talking with her, like, hey, they're having a sale for, like, eight cents and stuff like that for some dresses. Get me some dresses. And she's like, I think I might go lay down. I'm not feeling too well. I might check it out. And Lizzie's like, all right. Hmm. Very suspicious. Putting on her detective goggles mm. or magnifying glasses. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna buy you one. <laughs> they were subs- subsequently criticized for their lack of diligence. I'm assuming by the court and other people who were like the jury and whatnot that were like, "Sir, you could have done better." You're up, man. Evidence was not properly handled. <laughs> the crime scene was not properly investigated. I mean, it wasn't. Honestly. I mean, at least it wasn't like the other um, Velisca, yeah, where they like let people trample through the fucking not, thing. Not just people, like every fucking body that lived in that town. And, and they, they took, took things. bone fragments? Yeah. Oh, this is his skull. Oh, you know, you might want to leave that with the, I don't know, police. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, they searched the house, they went into the basement, and they had actually found two hatchets, two axes, and an extra hatchet head with a broken handle that had appeared fresh, and the ash and there was ash and dust on the head. Unlike that, on the other bladed tools, um, appeared to have been deliberately applied to make it look like it, to make it look as it had been in the basement for some time. So one was burned, yeah, and the other ones were cleaned. Mm-hmm. But they think that one that was burned looked like it was like baked burn, like they added ash to it. I don't know how you could tell, but I mean, whatever. I guess it had swiping versus dust settling look. Oh, maybe, maybe some like fingerprints smear looking thing. Um, however, none of these tools were removed from the house, so they just left them there. They're like, eh, they're fine, they, <laughs> where they're at. So they didn't even collect it as no. evidence, no. even though obviously it looks like these bodies were... This is suspicious. What's next? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's leave it where it is. That's What fine. else can we invite? Let's take all of the sheets. I don't know. You know what? what? This bone looks pretty interesting. Let me take some of this guy's skull. Let me take the couch that he's laying on. I need one. The courthouse needs one. Because of the mysterious illness that had stricken the household, apparently before the murders, family's milk and the victim's stomachs um, were uh, removed during autopsies and performed during or in the Borden dining room. Hold on, they did the autopsies in their dining room? Mm-hmm. Well, Was I that mean, a common practice back then? I guess so. They didn't so. have a place? Oh. That, <laughs> I mean, you how fresh is the body? And you have to Why can't you do this at the police station where you can control your environment? They don't know any better. They think, let's Cut them open and see what's going on. Interesting. I don't know how they solved shit back then. Mm-hmm. 
honestly. So they were tested for poison. None was found. I'm, I, I don't know. Like, I guess they, like, took samples from the stomach and poured it in some liquid and see if it reacted. I don't know. Or tasted it. <laughs> they poisoned themselves with, like, <laughs> a digested poison. Or, like, sniffed it. Because, like, some poisons you can smell. Oh, like arsenic smells like almonds. Yeah. Well, residents had suspected Lizzie of purchasing hydrocyanic acid in a diluted form from the local druggist. Um, her defense was that she inquired about the acid in order to clean her furs, despite the local medical examiner's testimony that it did not have any antiseptic properties. Like, it doesn't clean. Why would she think that that would clean her fur? Any excuse? <laughs> I'm back to she did it. <laughs> oh <my> gosh. <laughs> okay. Well, Lizzie and Emma's friend Alice Russell decided to stay with the sisters the night following the murders, while Morse spent the night in the attic guest room. Um. Okay. Police were stationed around the house on the night of August fourth during which an officer said he had seen Lizzie enter the cellar with Russell carrying a kerosene lamp at a, and a slop pail. Because they had uh, pigs and cows. Oh, okay. I was like, is that key for their shit bucket? <laughs> I'm going to go... I'm going to go take a little shit in the <laughs> slop bucket. I'll be back. Can I use your slop pail? Can I use your slop bucket? <laughs> I'm going to say that whenever I come over. Do you have a kerosene lamp? No, we have a light switch. <laughs> mm, and your slop pail when, for my <laughs> mysterious logs I have to drop. Mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> well, carrying the kerosene lamp and slop pail, he stated he saw both women exit the cellar. After which Lizzie returned alone. Though he was unable to see what she was doing, he stated it appeared she was bent over the sink. On August 5th, Morse left the Borden residence and was mobbed by hundreds of people. Police had to escort him back to the house. The following day, police conducted a more thorough search of the house, inspecting the sisters' clothing, confiscating the broken handle hatchet head, and the broken handled hatchet head. The evening, that evening, a police officer and the mayor visited the house, and Lizzie was informed that she was a suspect in the murders. So now they're doing what they should have done. Yeah. Instead of letting her free roam the house. And not only that, but it's now, what, a day later? Mm-hmm. So, evidence is... Beyond tampered with. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because you had, I don't know if Lizzie spent the night, I didn't hear that part, but... John Morris was in the attic, mm-hmm. so he was still staying in the house. Um, yeah, they all stayed together, and then so Morris Lizzie and Bridget, mm-hmm. Lizzie and Emma's friend Alice Russell decided to stay with the sisters. So Emma, Lizzie, the sisters stayed with um, Alice Russell in that house, the Borden house, together. Could you stay in a house after my your... parents were dead? Yeah, no, I'd be we... like. At least a week away from there before I go back because it's too I fresh. I couldn't even stay there. I I would go to like get some of my parents' things, but I'll be staying somewhere else, even if it's under a bridge. I, I'm 
I'm not gonna be sleeping in the same house that my parents were like brutally hacked in. hacked and how is it not still fresh in your memory seeing your father's face the way it was just an eyeball hanging out and she and loved being her afraid, father apparently yeah and then be afraid that that person's gonna come back and do the same thing to you mm-hmm. and you're gonna stay in that house mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's cause she did it what mm-hmm. okay so after being um, informed that she was suspected of the murder the next morning, Russell, or who's Russell? Who the fuck is Russell? Oh, yes. <laughs> My bad. Russell, the guy carrying the kerosene lamp that previous night. Russell entered the kitchen to find Borden tearing up a dress. Mm. She explained that she was planning to put it on the fire because it was covered in paint. Yeah, paint. Blood paint. It was never determined whether it was the dress she had been wearing on the day of the murders. Okay. See, she could have saved herself if she would have said, like, I, like, if she was tearing it up or doing something to it, maybe even burying it, and she was caught, I would have said something like, um, I can't look at this outfit without thinking of my dad dying. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. No, she's like, it has paint on it. <laughs> <laughs> burn it after I rip it up oh my God. <laughs> it has paint on it <laughs> rip it and burn it <laughs> guys like can you just no wait we don't want you to wash it you might use poison to try and clean it <laughs> we need you because you're a suspect <laughs> dumbass. okay so let's get to the trial sort of thing well, on August 9th, an inquest into the Borden murders was held in the courtroom over police headquarters. Before criminal magistrate Josiah Blaisdell and district attorney Hosea Knowlton. Hosea Knowlton questioned Lizzie Borden. Sorry. <laughs> um, Bridget Sullivan and a household guest, or uh, Mr. Borden's brother, John Morris, and a few others. During her four-hour examination, Lizzie gave confused and contradictory answers. Two days later, the inquest adjourned and Police Chief Hilliard, Hilliard arrested Lizzie Borden. The next day, Lizzie entered a plea of not guilty to the charges of murder and was transported by rail car to the jail in Taunton, eight miles to the north of Fall River. On August 22nd, um, so this is like days later, so well, you went like, from the 9th to the 22nd. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, real quick, if their trial was the 9th, remind me, when was the murders? The 4th. Oh, okay. So, like, two days ago. Because mm-hmm. it's August 6th. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so, on August 22nd, Lizzie returned to Fall River courtroom for her preliminary hearing, at the end of which Judge Josiah Blaisdell pronounced her probably guilty probably guilty (laughs) and ordered her to face a grand jury and possible charges for the murder of her parents well fast forward in november august september September, october October, November. november four months later in november the grand jury met god i could not deal with that but isn't that normal for today still like you get hearings different or are they faster Cause, I, mean, I feel like it's faster. I mean, that Delphi one took a minute. Well, also COVID. Oh, you Delayed. sure about that? Did that really? I mean, I guess. 
Yeah, because um, his they trial. They it back. Yeah, his trial was set for 2020, and that's when COVID hit. And then it was going to be 2022, and then he was treated inhumanely. And now it's pushed even further. Damn. Well, in November, the grand jury met. After first refusing to issue an indictment, the jury reconvened and heard new evidence from Alice Russell, a family friend who stayed with the two Borden sisters in the days following the murders. So the one that stayed with them throughout the night and whatnot. Um, Russell told grand jurors that she had witnessed Lizzie Borden burning a blue dress in a kitchen fire allegedly because as Lizzie explained, explained her actions, it was covered with old paint. Mm-hmm. Red blood paint. Mm-hmm. Suspiciously irony paint. <laughs> um, coupled with the, the earlier testimony from uh, a, from Bridget Sullivan that Lizzie was wearing a blue dress on the morning of the murders, the evidence was enough to convince grand jurors to indict Lizzie for the murders of her parents. So that is how... They are like, oh, she's guilty because she wore a blue dress. Mm-hmm. And there's paint that was probably blood on this blue dress. Jeez. This is why it took fucking four months. Because <laughs> they had to go through and ask every single person what they saw, did, smelled. How many times did you fart that day? Like, every information they possibly could get. Did you have get. the mutton soup? <laughs> Do you have them slice some cold mutton? How did it taste to you? Describe. How did you feel after your breakfast? Did you feel serial killy like? <laughs> did you, you want to murder? Were you feeling the coffee and cookies? <laughs> okay, so Russell's testimony was also enough to convince the Borden sisters to sever all ties with their old friend forever. I mean, to be fair, though, I wouldn't expect anything less considering, like, bitch, you try saying I killed my parents. Unfriend, unlike, unsubscribe. <laughs> a true friend would not say anything and help you bury bodies. What? What I'm bodies? Saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> Lizzie Borden, never heard of her. I don't know who she is. I don't know that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you can call me Michelle because I'm Michelle in a way. <laughs> Michelle away. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the trial of Lizzie Borden opened on June 5th. 1983. So now almost a year later. <laughs> and ironically that day. Speedy. Speedy trial, I'm telling you. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Hold on. When did this start? Hold on. I gotta look at this. August 9th was her first day. That's what you said. No, she I'm looking was... at the year. Oh. Oh yeah, because December had to roll through. Obby. Yeah, I mean, your jury, they have to go through all the holidays. <laughs> and they need a month to celebrate. Avi. Okay, so the trial of Lizzie Borden opened on June 5th, 1893. Before a jury of 12 men, Moody opened the state's case when Moody threw Lizzie's blue frock on the prosecution table during his speech. Within the frock was revealed the skulls of Andrew and Abby Borden. The sight of her parents' skulls, according to a newspaper account, caused Lizzie to fail into a faint that lasted for several minutes, sending a thrill of excitement through awestruck spectators and causing unfeigned embarrassment and discomfiture to penetrate the ranks of the council. 
assuming that's a quote from the newspaper because that's weirdly quoted. We don't use that verbiage anymore. <laughs> oh my, she got the vapors when she saw her parents. Causing unfeigned embarrassment and discomfiture. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, that was some crazy shit. <laughs> For most of the two hours of Moody's speech, Lizzie watched from behind a fan as a prosecutor described Lizzie as the only person, ha person having both the motive and opportunity to commit the double murders and then pulled from a bag the head of the axe that he claimed Lizzie used to kill her parents. Talk about drama. I can just imagine, like, I'm sitting there in the jury <laughs> and then I just see the this guy go, boom! And all of a sudden you see two skills and then you see Lizzie <gasps> like a novella yeah oh my god and then they're just like oh my god and then for the rest of the trial she's getting fanned <laughs> write that down write that down after um the whole drama of the whole fainting and then them saying that she was the only one that had a motive and opportunity to commit the double murders the, they brought up witnesses, and the first of several witnesses for the state that testified on the morning, the most important of these witnesses, was 26-year-old Bridget Sullivan. She testified that Lizzie was the only person she saw in the home at the time her parents were murdered. Though she provided some consolation to the um, defense when she said that she had not witnessed during her over two years of service to the, uh, to the family, signs of rumored ugly relationships between Lizzie and her stepmother because I'm assuming they were trying to like push towards like she just did not like her mother or stepmother she's like I didn't notice anything of the sort she's like everything was pleasant she said Lizzie and her mother always spoke to each other other prosecutors um witness disputed Sullivan's assertion that all was fine between Lizzie and her stepmother for example, Hannah Gifford, who made a garment for Lizzie a few months before the murders, described a conversation in which Lizzie called her stepmother a mean, good-for-nothing thing and said, I don't have much to do with her. I stay in my room most of the time. Sullivan, however, also testified that Andrew and Abby Borden experienced some stomach pains on the days before the murder and told jurors that at the presumed time of Abby's murder, Lizzie claimed she was washing outside windows. Sullivan testified that she opened the door for Andrew Borden after he returned home from his walk about town, and they described hearing Lizzie's cry for help a few minutes after 11 o'clock. Several witnesses described seeing Andrew Borden at various points in the town in the two hours before he returned home to his death. Household guest um, John Moores, age 60, described having breakfast in the Borden home on the morning of the murders and then leaving the house to perform chores. The next set of witnesses described events and conversations after discovery of the murders. Dr. Seabury Bowen, the Borden family physician summoned to the home by Lizzie in the late morning of August 4th, recounted Lizzie's story about looking for lead sinkers in the barn and her contention that her father's troubles with his tenants probably had something to do with the murders. On cross-examination, Seabury agreed with the defense's suggestions that the morphine he prescribed for Lizzie might account for some of the confused and contradictory um, testimony she gave at the inquest following the murders. Adelaide Churchill, a Borden neighbor, um, 
and another and another important witness um, remembered Lizzie wearing a light blue dress with a diamond figure on it, but did not recall seeing any blood spots on it. John Fleet, the assistant marshal of Fall River, recalled his interview with Lizzie shortly after the murders. Lizzie corrected him when he testified when he called Abby Borden her mother. She was not my mother, sir. Lizzie replied, she was my stepmother. My mother died when I was a child. The most compelling testimony came again from Alice Russell. Russell described a visit from Lizzie the night before the murders in which she announced that she would soon be going on vacation and felt that something is hanging over me. I cannot tell what it is. Then according to Russell, after describing her parents' severe stomach sickness, which she attributed to bad baker's bread, Lizzie revealed... Mm-hmm. <laughs> or slowly poisoning. I feel afraid something is going to happen, explaining her feeling. Lizzie told Russell that she wanted to go to sleep with one eye open half the time for fear somebody might burn the house down or hurt her father because he was so discourteous to people. Hmm. Turning his questioning to Sunday, to the Sunday after the murders, District Attorney Moody asked Russell about the dress burning incident. Russell recounted that when she asked Lizzie what she was doing with the blue dress, she replied, I'm going to burn this old thing up. It is covered with paint. On cross-examination, defense attorney George Robinson attempted through his questions to suggest that a guilty person seeking to destroy incriminating evidence would be unlikely to do it in so open a fashion, as Lizzie allegedly did. Russell also recounted a conversation with Lizzie about a note which, according to Lizzie's account, she received from a messenger on the morning of the murder, summoning her to visit a sick friend. See, this is what's throwing me through a loop. I thought Abby Abby. got the letter, but people were saying that Lizzie got the thing. Mm. Unless a lot of people were sick. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Lizzie used the note to explain why she thought her mother had left the home and therefore didn't think to look for her body. Mm. So Lizzie got the letter for Abby. Oh, okay. Maybe that's maybe that's what it is, and they're blurring it or like getting it confused. Because clearly, I got confused. She still got the letter and read it and stuff. For the mother. Maybe. This is confusing. Um, so Lizzie used the note to explain why she thought her mother had left the home and therefore didn't think to look for her body after discovering her father's. Despite a thorough search of the Borden home, the alleged note was never found. Hmm. Russell said she sarcastically, sarcastically suggested to Lizzie that her mother might have been burnt, might have burned the note. Lizzie, according to Russell, replied, "Yes, she must have." <laughs> the defense kept hammering at the contradictory testimony of key prosecution witnesses. The f- defense also explored holes in the prosecution case. Where the defense asked, is a handle that supposedly broke off from the axe head that the state hauled into court and claimed was part of the murder weapon? The state had no answer. The defense also exploited the government's own timeline, which allowed from 8 to 13 minutes between Andrew Borden's murder and Lizzie's call to Bridget Sullivan. Robinson tried to suggest the difficulty of washing blood out of one's person's clothes and murder weapon of blood and then hiding the murder weapon all within that short span of time and their dresses were very like layered and hard to get in and out of wasn't it mm-hmm. so and their corseted up i'm sure so like i mean from all accounts when you look at her pictures she's 
really straight back, which tells me... Boned corset. Yeah. Still bones. Corset, y'all. Well, the decisive moment in the trial might have come when the three-judge panel ruled that Lizzie Borden's inquest testimony full of contradictions and implausible claims could not be submitted into evidence by the prosecution. The judges concluded that Lizzie, at the time of the coroner's inquest, was for all practical purposes a prisoner charged with two murders and that her testimony at the inquest made an absence of her attorney was not voluntary. Lizzie should have been warned, the judges said, that she had a right under the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution to remain silent. The judges rejected the state's argument that Lizzie was only only a suspect, not a prisoner, at the time of the inquest and that anyway her statement should be admitted because it was in the nature of denial rather than a confession. The prosecution rested its case on June 14th after one final defeat. The state wanted to have druggist Eli Bentz recount for the jury his story of Lizzie Borden visiting a Fall River drugstore on the day before the murders and asking for 10 cents worth of prussic acid, a poison. With the jurors excused, the state tried to establish through medical experts, druggists, furriers and chemists the qualities, properties, and uses of prussic acid. The judges, after listening to the state's foundational case, concluded that the evidence should be excluded. The defense presented only a handful of witnesses. Charles Gifford and Uriah Kirby reported seeing a strange man near the Borden house around 11 o'clock on the night before the murders. Dr. Benjamin Hanfee testified that he saw a pale-faced young man on the sidewalk near 92nd Street around 10.30 on August 4th. A plumber and a gas fitter testified that in the day or two before the murders, they had been in the Borden's, Borden's barn loft, casting doubt on police assertion that Lizzie's alibi was suspect because the dust in the loft appeared undisturbed. And it was hot. Mm-hmm. And who can stay in there that long when it's hot? Exactly. Emma Borden, the older sister of Lizzie, was the defense's most anticipated witness. Emma testified that Lizzie and her father enjoyed a good relationship. She told jurors that the gold ring found on the little finger of Andrew Borden's body was given to him 10 or 15 years ago by Lizzie, and he prized it highly. Emma also insisted that the relationship between Lizzie and her stepmother were cordial, even as she admitted to lingering resentment over the transfer by her father of a Fall River home, which Emma called Grandfather's House, to Abby and her sister, Lizzie. So she didn't get anything from that house. Only Lizzie and Abby did. Um, the defense had also hoped that Emma might testify that the Bordens had a custom of disposing of remnants and pieces of dresses by burning, but the court ruled evidence inadmissible. So that is motive right there that you have to share inheritance of some sort yeah, between saying, what's that word? your stepmother and, and you yourself. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that that is good enough evidence. Like, why do I have to share that with her? She's not even my real mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. And how I can't remember how long she's been in their lives. Um I don't think you covered it. Um, I'm gonna go in chronological order. When I'm finished with this whole, maybe it'll clear it up. So, let's see. Um, Summing up for the defense, A.V. Jennings argued, there is not one particle of direct evidence in this case from beginning to end against Lizzie A. Borden. There is not a spot of blood, there is not a weapon that they have connected with her in any way, shape, or fashion. 
Following Jennings, Governor Robinson, in his closing speech for the defense, insisted that the crime must have been committed by a maniac or a devil, not by someone with the respectable background of his client. He said the state had failed to meet its burden of pro proving guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, and that it was physically impossible for Lizzie, without the help of a confederate, to have committed the crime with the timeline suggested by the prosecution. Robinson ridiculed the theory that Lizzie might have avoided getting blood spots on her clothes by killing her parents while stark naked, and argued that the murders might well have been committed by an intruder who passed out of the house undetected. Justice Dewey told jurors they should take into account Lizzie's excep exceptional Christian character, which entitled her to every inference in her favor. It's not Christian, it's her white privilege. Period. Period. Um, the jury deliberated an hour and a half before returning with its verdict. That's quick. Mm -hmm. Usually it takes like two hours a day. Um, it's gone if on not four, even. Like it's days. It's gone on days, mm -hmm. yeah. It depends on the trial. The clerk asked the foreman of the jury, what is your verdict? Not guilty. The foreign foreman replied simply, Lizzie let out a yell, sank into her chair, and rested her hands on a courtroom rail put her face in her hands, and then let out a second cry of joy. Long time to celebrate. <sighs> yeah. I'd have just been like, hold it, keep it quiet, wait till or you Or still, like, you could do the whole... Hand on the rail thing, but not be like... <laughs> but not be like, yippee! <laughs> <laughs> I doubt she said yippee. Uh. I got away with murder! <laughs> I mean, I'm innocent. <laughs> and I get both houses. <laughs> and I'm going to buy a new house. And a new dress and a new hatch. I mean, slot pill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so I'm going to go through the chronology. Um, I got this from famoustrials.com. Sarah Borden, the mother of Lizzie and her older sister, Emma, um, they died, she died on in 1863 on March 26th. Um, on June 6th, 1865, so what, two, three years later, he remarries his new wife, Abby Gray. Um... Bridget Sullivan, an Irish immigrant, begins working at the Borden home in 1889. So, on June 24th in 1891, daytime robbery of cash and jewelry at the Borden home, Emma, Lizzie, and Bridget are home at the time. Lizzie, who had earlier been accused of shoplifting by a local merchant, is the family's prime suspect. From this date, doors to the Borden home inside and out are kept locked at all times. April 1892. According to Hannah Gifford, a Fall River cloakmaker, Lizzie tells Gifford that Abby is a mean old thing. May or June 1892. Angie Borden uses a hatchet to kill pigeons in the family barn. The pigeons roosted in a barn loft that Lizzie maintained for their benefit. However, I will say this is like a theory more so than actual factual, I want to say. Because there are people that are like, there's no proof that he actually went and killed these pigeons and shit like that. Because they were like, these are pigeons that Lizzie cared for. Plus they had mutton soup. Yeah, I mean, come on. Pigeon pigeon soup, soup sounds better. Um, 
So like chicken soup. <laughs> exactly. Just a little more gainy. Um, July 21st, 1892. Following a family disagreement, Lizzie and Emma Borden leave Fall River and travel to New Bedford. August 2nd, 1892. Abby and Andrew Borden awaken complaining of stomach sickness. Abby visits Dr. Bowen. She suggests that she might have been poisoned, but Dr. Bowen is skeptical. August 3rd, 1892 in the morning. Lizzie reportedly tries to, and unsuccessfully, tries to buy some poison from Eli Benz at D.R. Smith's drugstore. Okay, so they have the stomach aches before she buys or tries to allegedly purchase this, this poison. Poison. Mm-hmm. So they were poisoned previous to her trying to purchase mm-hmm. poison. poison. So I wonder if she even would have the opportunity to poison them. Because even to get a stomach ache, you'd have to ingest the poison for a, a few days. Yeah. Even if she's doing it like little by little. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think what they were trying to push is that she's been on the prowl for poison before. And it's not working well enough. So she might have been needing something stronger. I think that's what they were trying to or the prosecution side was trying to push for. August 3rd, uh, or hold on, August 3rd, 1882, in the evening, John Morse arrives for a stay with the Bordens. Lizzie's visit Alice Russell and talks forebodingly about household activities. She says she fears poisoning, that her father has enemies, and that she has seen suspicious characters around the family house. She's quoted saying, I'm afraid, but that someone will do something, she says. August 4th, 1892, in the morning. About 7 a.m., Abby, Andrew, and John Morse have breakfast. Afterwards, Morse and Andrew go to the sitting room while Abby begins her house cleaning chores. Bridget Sullivan goes to the backyard to throw up. Morse leaves about 8.45. Libby has a light breakfast about 9 a.m. A few minutes later, Andrew leaves the home, taking with him some letters that Lizzie asked him to mail. August 4th, 1892, at 9.30 a.m. Abby goes up the stairs to continue her house cleaning on the second floor. I thought she went to go nap. No, Abby. Oh, that's right. Is it? Yeah, they clean their own rooms. Mm. But that's not Abby's room. That's the guest room. Mm. She went to go but clean. But she's getting it ready for John. Mm. Bridget Sullivan is outdoors cleaning windows for the next hour. She's fast. I'm, I'd seen pictures of this house. I could not clean a house that fast. Isn't it like also hot. three stories of windows? I think she just did the lower level ones. Even then, girl, I can maybe get <laughs> she got two a scaffold. windows in one day. She got a scaffold out of the basement cellar next to the slot pail. <laughs> We're all giving her props. She probably just took a bucket of water, went like this, and she like scrubbed like it. she probably just cleaned like the bird poop off of three spots and just like threw water and she's like done <laughs> done next next <laughs> thank you thank next. you next so Abby goes up the stairs oh hold on I'm sorry um as she goes to clean the second floor Bridget Sullivan is outdoors cleaning windows for the next hour sometime during the next hour Abby Borden is killed in the guest room by 19 hatchet blows to the back of her head However, they were stating that at first, the first blow, she was facing the person because they have a hatchet mark right above her left ear. But you could also get that if you're being stabbed from the back and you went to turn to look to see and then you got hit there. True. 
The only time I would say it would be in the front is if it was more in the center of the face. Or like in the neck, in the yeah. front of the neck. Yeah, that's true. We are getting it on the side, which you could easily get by turning to say and like... clubbing. No! Smack. <laughs> Smack. Smack. Smack man. dab above the ear. Um, sorry, Abby. Um, at 11 a.m., same day, August 4th, Angie Borden returns home carrying a small parcel. Bridget Sullivan lets Andrew into the house as she hears a muted laugh from upstairs. Lizzie visits her father briefly in the dining room, telling him that Abby had received a message and left the house. Andrew lies down in the sitting room, and Bridget goes to rest in her attic room. Andrew Mur Borden is murdered shortly thereafter in the sitting room sofa. Lizzie calls for Bridget, saying someone had killed her father. <laughs> I'm assuming she's British. <laughs> Lizzie tells a neighbor, Adelaide Churchill, that she had been in the barn looking for irons or sinkers for an upcoming fishing trip mm -hmm. at the time of the murder. Shortly after, around 11.15, police are notified of the murders. Um, August 4th, 1892, at the evening time, dozens of policemen troop in and out of the Borden home. Doctors perform a post-mortem on the bodies on the dining room table. Which is so rare. And, again, they spent the night, so they must have ate breakfast on the dining table the next morning. Keep that in mind. No, they just went down the street to McDonald's. Yeah, uh-huh. Obby. <laughs> Obviously. We <laughs> ate We ate in the dining room where Father was smashed to pieces. Can you pass right me the, the salt? Oh, it's next to Father's wrist. Can you just move? <laughs> Oh no, I got Father's eye matter in my soup. I can't taste the difference. They're both gamey and chewy. So Gross. slippery. Okay. Um, so sorry. Uh, Lizzie is interrogated. Oh, after the dining room, while I'm assuming while they're also performing the autopsy or postmortem, uh, Lizzie is interrogated by Deputy Marshal Fleet. Lizzie speaks in a detached manner, and when Fleet calls Abby her mother, Lizzie insists she is not my mother. She is my stepmother. I correct you now. Listen here, sir. That botch, I mean, that, that woman. motherfucker right there <laughs> is, is not, not real. <laughs> I had to. Pugger. That mother pugger right there. <laughs> you know what I'm also just wondering, or just noticing? Hmm. What are you just noticing? That since they're doing the autopsy in the dining room, but they're also going and asking questions to Lizzie. So they're doing that shit while they're in the house, right? Have you ever, or do you, I can imagine the smell. Ooh, yeah. Because it is what, the next day? No, two days? it's still the same day. Or the same day? It's the evening. Your bo two bodies are getting cut up on the dining room table and examined. They don't have AC. You're hot boxing your father's remains. And I'm sure there's um, I mean, I hate to bring it up, but when you die, there's fecal matter. Yeah. The stank in that house was hot. Um, okay. Anyways, <laughs> that was on my mind the entire time. I just had to share that. Yeah. So, she's like, she's my stepmother, not my mother. Um, Get it right, you motherfucker. <laughs> okay, so two days later, um, an editorial in Falls River paper criticizes the police for, police for inaction in the Borden case. 
The funeral service for Andrew and Abby is held at the Borden home. Um, August 7, 1892. Emma observes Lizzie burning her blue corduroy dress in the kitchen fire. Oh, it's corduroy too. Mm. Mm. Um, August 9th through 11th, an inquest closed to the public is held to consider the murders of Andrew and Abby Borden. On August 11th, Lizzie Borden is arrested by Marshall Hilliard. August 12th, 1892, Lizzie enters a plea of not guilty, and she is moved to the Taunton Jail. Um, August 22nd through the 23rd, a preliminary hearing is held. Judge Josiah Blysdale finds that there is probably cause to try Lizzie for murder. 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 Um, then fast forward to November. Alice Russell tells the grand jury about the visit she received from Lizzie the night before the murders. The grand jury issues an indictment against Lizzie for murder two days later. Fast forward um, several months later to June 5th. The trial of Lizzie Borden opens at the New Bedford Courthouse. June 20th, the jury returns its verdict in Lizzie Borden's trial as not guilty. And then June 1st, 1927, forever later, Lizzie Borden dies at the age of 67. Eight days later, her sister Emma dies. Both women were buried at the family burial plot in Oak Grove Cemetery in Fall River. Next to daddy and stepmother. Daddy. Daddy. Zaddy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I wanted to run through a few of these theories of who'd have might have done it. Who did it? Who suspected outside of Lizzie? Um, Lizzie the Lizzie. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm cancelled. Um, cancelled before I even get started. Okay, so... Just you, I'm fine. <laughs> you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. So, theory one, the wild-eyed man. I got this also from the cri- from the crimewire.com. Which is another podcast? Nope. Oh, okay. I looked at it and I was like, is it? Because it sounds like one. Yeah. No. So, the wild-eyed man. Lizzie told police that she had seen a wild-eyed man lurking around her home on the morning of the murders. Several locals reported seeing a suspicious man who matched Lizzie's description in the vicinity later in the day. Remember how they were like, oh. suspicious man lingering yeah. on 82nd Street. Why am I picturing Kramer from Seinfeld right now? Wild eyes. <laughs> <laughs> he had curly hair. He yeah. was very fidgety. <laughs> Imagine that. So yeah, that was literally all it is. There was a suspicious man outside the house. He's probably just lost. Like, where the fuck am I? Mm. Um, he was a time traveler. <laughs> um, theory number two, Lizzie and the maid. According to this theory, Lizzie was having an affair with Bridget the maid. In this scenario, Abby discovered their relationship and threatened to tell Lizzie's father, prompting Lizzie to kill her stepmother in order to prevent that from happening. But wasn't the father killed first? So that no, 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 was... no. The mother was before he killed, or the stepmother was before he came home. Yeah, but why kill him? He hasn't even came home yet. Uh, they haven't disposed of her body. Yeah, you can just say the wild-eyed man came in and killed her. Oh, that's true. Why go overboard and kill your father, mm. who you're only killing, a supposed allegedly. 
the stepmother to keep her quiet so she doesn't tell old daddy that you're a lazy. You're a lazy. You carpet muncher. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the vacuum's in. <laughs> oh, that's a little too martyr. A, B, B, doing the alphabet on that pearl. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm gonna get to G. <laughs> oh my gosh, you gotta go a little deeper. Into her dark abyss. Okay. <laughs> okay, done. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so, but also, I mean, this thing does give reasons why they don't think so. They don't think so because Lizzie may have disliked her stepmother even if she did. Why would she kill her father? She adored him. Maybe yeah. more ring that she gave him. <sighs> Just to perpetuate such a brutality on him, just to conceal a secret, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I would, I'd throw that out the window, too. I mean, maybe there wasn't a relationship between her and Bridget, but I feel like that's a bit too far. I don't know. Besides, she's already got rights to that house. <laughs> she's like, mm, mine. And all you need to do is kill her and you're set. Oh, yeah, kill Abby. Bye. Yeah, because that was the only one that you were sharing it with. And also, I mean, even if things got out of hand, they could have just fired Bridget and gotten her out of there. You're not allowed to do baby. Pin it on her. Theory number three. The maid did it. Some people have speculated that Bridget perpetuated the murders because she was being mistreated by her employers. However, she wasn't stuck there. She could easily quit. Yeah. So, I don't think that's why... And from the accounts of what you said in part one, or my thoughts on it was she didn't really have much of an interaction with the father. It was more the stepmom, and yeah, the stepmom was like, A bit are you going to wash the windows? Go wash the windows. <laughs> the absolutely Bitch. dirty. Bitch. Mm-hmm. But she's getting paid, so she's like, I guess I'll go wash your shitty windows. Water splash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just imagining her doing it in a, in a white top, smearing her breasts on the windows. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Lizzie, you like that? Mm, you dirty girl. You lock that door. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my areolas. <laughs> my flapjacks. <laughs> oh my gosh, she's got. <laughs> she got pepperonis. <laughs> she wishes she's got mutton. <laughs> My nipples. Ew. Always hard. <laughs> Pointing oh downwards. <laughs> Christina. <laughs> okay. Um, now I'm just thinking about Deuce Bigelow too when the girls are washing the window. <laughs> yeah, that's what was in my head. <laughs> Why are we about how are we where we are? We're connecting. Yeah. Relezies. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, I got theory you. number four. The half-brother. William Borden was Andrew Borden's illegitimate son. At the time of the murders, he was 26 years old. According to this theory, he killed his father and stepmother after failing to extort money from them. I oh, mean, and he probably found out that the house is even in, in, in his, his name. name. He gets nothing. 
the step hoe gets it and the daughter who lives with Whoa. daddy. What if Emma got the stepbrother to do it and she's like, look, we can cash in on this. I mean, Loki, someone's suspicious. I mean, I could see it happening. I mean, he's the illegitimate son. I mean, this guy's but rich. But he doesn't really get gain anything for their murder. It would just be strictly um, what's that word? Yeah. Strictly revenge, yeah. not for capital gain. Yeah. Okay. Theory number five: Lizzie and her sister. According to this theory, Lizzie and Emma conspired together to kill her father and stepmother. There is indeed some evidence that there was tension in the household, some of which had to do with the daughter's concern that their father was transferring money to Abby's relatives. Others have suggested that perhaps Andrew abused the girls as children and that the murders were perpetrated in revenge. I can see that because, especially back in the day, no one comes between white women and their money. So they were probably like, oh no, daddy's giving everything to that whore. And his shitty ratchet family. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they use that coinage, ratchet. <laughs> Fatchet family. (laughs) (laughs) Um, However, um, I mean, they've never said anything that there was, like, previous evidence of abuse between the girls and their father. I mean, however, Lizzie was the favorite, and he tended to spoil her. I mean... Often giving in to her somewhat unreasonable whims. She did live with them, Mm -hmm. so... Uh, Emma, on the other hand, was known to be a reserved private person who would go visit friends to escape the volatility of the Borden household. It is unlikely that such a person would collude with her sister to murder their parents in cold blood, not to mention that Emma had an ironclad alibi. I mean, I could see it. I mean, why would Lizzie want to fuck up her a good thing going for her so far? And there are instances where parents uh, are better to one than the other. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, one kid, like, could remind them of them or whatever, or they just click better, and the other one, they're just like, eh. Go do your thing. Go do your thing. I just miss you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, and then the Maya, one of another theory that Christina yes, jokingly saying, um, but I don't know if she believes it or not. Uncle John Morse. Another theory not mentioned in um, however, I will include was that Uncle John Morris, the brother-in-law of Mr. Borden, who had spent the night prior to the murders at the Borden home, was the killer. It's because he didn't enjoy that mutton soup. <laughs> There's theories that he might have done it. He was like, I'm going to just kill you, and I'm going to kill the husband, hopefully I'll get an estate, because he started the biz- a business with uh, Andrew, or the dad, Mr. Borden. They started the business together, so he was like, maybe I can weasel my way into becoming the next heir to whatever this fortune of the families versus Lizzie getting it but not whatever but anyways um what was suspicious is that um Mr. Moore Morris I'm sorry or John was actually also previous or had training in a butcher butcher yes so like they said originally oh, before I have heard that before um, when they originally thought that it was somebody who hacked Mrs. Borden from behind that was taller yeah cause she was standing and he was sitting um, 
Yeah, he was a trained butcher. And it is theorized that he had used a meat cleaver as a weapon. I don't know. It's meat cleaver is so different from an axe. I feel like the cuts would be a lot different. Mm-hmm. Um, they theorize it because John Morris was not seen between the times of 9 and 12, and his alibi included the doctor who was at the Borden house at the time. According to Lizzie's testimony, and John Morris knew about Andrew Borden's will. He also had motive. Andrew Borden and he had a falling, failing livestock business, and Morris was also a trained butcher, trained butcher, and it is theorized that he used a meat cleaver as a weapon. So that's one of them. Um from your favorite video that's on YouTube. <laughs> mm-hmm. Glam and Glam. Love her. Um, with their spirit box where it was um, supposedly, it was John. Yeah. John did it. That's what I said. <laughs> Which, that is not what I heard. But whatever. And we played it like a thousand times. Um, speculation, speculation. The ghost said John did it. So, yeah, who do you think did it? Um, I mean, my theory is I think John did do it because not that women can't kill. I just feel like he would probably have an easier time chopping mm -hmm. than Lizzie. Not to mention, I feel like it's quicker for guys to change clothes back in the day. Oh, yeah. Not all the layers. Yeah. And reports, even though... We're saying that Lizzie was burning her corridor, corduroy, dress. corduroy blue dress With the diamond next day, right? Um, she wasn't wearing it the day of the murders, otherwise she would be covered in red paint. So, why do you think John? Um, because I just feel like he's, you know, taller, he could get the wax in. Um, move faster. Move faster, change his clothes. I just don't know in the timeline. I don't remember you stating when he was scheduled to come. I know he was coming like come over back. to stay. He came the night before the murders. Okay. Did he stay all day? They don't really state when he leaves. or He left with uh, Andrew. Andrew. Did he come back with Andrew? No, it was just Andrew. I think he said John had other business inside town to deal with. And supposedly it was stated that some people witnessed him in town. Mm. If there's eyewitnesses saying that he did not go back, and the that would be the time of the murders, mm. then I guess he wouldn't count. Mm -hmm. Um... So really, the only person left would be Lizzie and Bridget, because they're the only ones that were there. In the house. Yeah, besides the alleged crazy-eyed man. So, I don't know. Now I'm off my John theory. I've always been... John. It was John. It was John. Um, I think Lizzie did do it because there's just too much for her not to be her especially considering the fact that I mean with her considering like insinuating she's not my mother she's my stepmother not that that's Quick to... a definite giveaway 
but like quick to correct someone. Yeah. And then I just don't understand the father part. Or kill your father. Here's my thing that's always messed me up, and I think it messes a lot of people up. If it was her, how did Bridget not see Lizzie covered in blood? Mm-hmm. Or changing, or whatever. Hear any of the noises. Um, see her go run outside to go put away the hatchet back into the cellar or whether it's inside or something of the sort. Um, another thing that also threw me through a loop is how does one move amongst a house without tracking blood everywhere? Not only that, but those old houses be creaking. You know what I was just thinking? Bridget be cleaning those windows really fast. <laughs> Wonder exactly. what else she can so clean I'm real like fast. Back, so I'm back on the theory of maybe she killed Abby and Lizzie killed the the father. Or vice versa. Abby killed the father and Lizzie went and killed Abby. I don't know. It's so hard. Or Abby and uh, Abby, um, Maggie, Bridget, whatever did both of them, but how would Lizzie not hear Any of the anything? Commotion. And Maggie was the one upstairs sleeping because she didn't feel well. Ugh, it's so hard. It was the wild-eyed guy. Some rando came in and killed them. You know who it was? Hmm. The mutton. The mutton. <laughs> the mutton did it. It slowly killed everybody, and then it came back to life as a what? Sheep? <laughs> And axed them to death. Axed them them to to death. death. Oh my god. That's hilarious. It was the dead sheep. It was the mutton soup. It was the mutton soup. It had to have Case closed. Case closed. It ain't cold no more. Well, the mutton soup is. Well, the the mutton is. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, that concludes my Lizzie Borden little in-depth little thingamajiggy covering of the trial. Um, what really messed me up was the whole Abby receiving the letter, which Lizzie said, versus Lizzie receiving the letter. And yeah, that, then, they kind of flipped it. Yeah, and then in the trial, they were like, they think Lizzie tried using it as a thing to cover up for Abby being not seen throughout the house. So she's like, well, I assume she just left to go check on the friend. So mm-hmm. That's another thing that gives me a way that I'm like, well, maybe Lizzie did do it. Like, she's just trying to throw the letter, and Bridget's like, no, Lizzie received that letter. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish that there was recording so I can hear how she sounds because what if it's just being misconstrued what she says because of a certain characteristic that she has? Mm-hmm. Like she could be an introvert and have a certain kind of way about her that does set off people. Because I remember you saying that the police officers felt it was very strange her responses especially when she corrected them about abby Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. i do know a lot of introverts that are like off very interesting and also we don't know how anybody would handle a situation like this yeah i mean after she discovered her father hacked in the face it could be her her, like coping mechanism Mm -hmm. i don't know very strange. I hope one day they're able to solve that. Um, but it would be very sad if it turns out that it was Lizzie and they let her live. Mm-hmm. Or get away with it. Yeah. 
essentially. And she's buried next to them. Yeah. That's just fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to turn it over to you now, Christina. Um, Mine isn't too long, but I am excited to share this with you. So, I'm just going to jump right in. I'm not even going to yes. say anything. We're just going to get into it because I'm excited. Do it. All right. Let's do it. Um, So, do you believe there are things out there we can't explain? Avi. How about things outside our universe? Ooh. Ooh. Well, Steph, you touched on the subject on episode 10, titled Episode 10, with our special guest that we haven't had one since. Um, Is this why you were smiling earlier when it Yes. <laughs> we were watching a t- I was watching a TikTok, and they were talking about, like, this council meeting, that previous one that everyone was, like... Which I'm going to talk about. I was like, what, how do you feel about the alien thing? And she's like... Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, yes, continue. So, during episode 10, you took us to Zimbabwe for some alien sightings. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to cover my favorite conspiracy. Ooh. It is the thing that put Roswell, New Mexico on the map. Ooh. And, yes, I'm talking about the famous UFO crash of 1947. Oh, my God. I've seen a documentary about this, and there's this old lady that was, like, a little girl there. Like, she was, like, four or nine or some shit. I, can, I don't know. But it was just so interesting hearing her talk about it, and I believed her. But continue. So I wanted to bring up the subject, um, again, not only because I went to Roswell, <laughs> and too. I loved it. Me too. Um, but also because aliens or extraterrestrial beings seem to be a topic of discussion right now, which mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier. And I feel from my personal research that the retired Major David Grush um, became a catalyst for this topic when he, quote, whistleblowed. Um, He was part of the Pentagon's UAP task force, which he touched on um, UAPs on episode 10. So he, where he was privy to secrets, especially cover-ups and locations. And David stated that they found non-human biologics at the UFO crash site per article from NPR, um, which will be tagged in our video today. It's one of our links. Mm -hmm. Um, I also put the whole YouTube video of the entire committee meeting on the UFO encounters with Congress to date. Uh, So the committee that we were talking about. I have the whole video YouTube pulled up and I'll I put a little thing next to it that states when David Grush is asked those questions. Okay. It's like mm, an hour and 54 minutes in That's or whatever. It? I thought it'd be longer. The whole thing is like 2 hours and almost 2 hours and 30 minutes. But up into the questions where we talk about the where they found non-human biologics is an hour and 54 minutes in because previous to that they're talking about other encounters that they came across and this one is the one with major retired major david grush who he's the one who whistleblowed okay, okay. and started catalyze catalyst this whole government um talking coming forward and literally saying here ufos do exist and here's everything we know about them pretty much in a way they don't really tell us everything but 
You know how it goes. But they can't. Yeah. Hearsay. Here, allegedly. Allegedly. I love that word. So, um, I found some interesting things and honestly a little scary about things that we don't know that were kept from us. Because they went on and they were telling us stuff and I was just sitting there listening and I was just like, Awestruck. Oh my the gosh, fuck. how do they keep this shit from us? And then it got me thinking like, God, I live in a little bubble and there's so much like out there. And there's so much that they keep from us. And then I started thinking, I started having dreams that I'm in my little RV and a little alien guy comes oh, and no. visits me. And I was like, what do I do? And I was like, I think I'd be that one that like got him high, you know? <laughs> Allegedly. Um, <laughs> not tell the government. And then I started thinking about that movie, Paul. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Fucking Paul and you have to hold your breath when you're invisible. <laughs> so, yeah. Really? That was a very interesting dream. And I think I would do that in real life. Because <laughs> I, I, I'd be like, I, okay, don't get me wrong. Don't get, come at me. I have not completely watched E.T. I fall asleep at the time that he gets taken in. Um, oh, when he know. gets sick and he's found in the ditch and yeah. shit like that. Yeah, I kind of lose interest out there. So I don't really know how it ends. I'm assuming he goes home. He does. Okay. E.T. phone home. Okay, continue. So I'd be 420-ing up with this a little alien oh. dude. But I never saw E.T., so I don't really know how that ended. But you told me that E.T. go home. Um... <laughs> And he's an Asian man. Yeah, he to go home. <laughs> Thank you, nice lady. I was having dreams about that, and I was like, but I think also because I was writing this story, and I just got done wa watching all that stuff. So I was like, why is why did I have this weird ass dream? Probably because I'm been writing about it, which I think is weird because when I write about serial killers, I don't have serial killer dreams. I have puppies and unicorns. Like it's probably because nice. it's so foreign to you. Maybe that it's sticking with you. Like like this is weird. Did you have dreams about the Banshee? No, no, but I did have dreams about the mermaids, but I've had dreams about mermaids before. I mean, who doesn't want to be a mermaid? I'm obsessed. obsessed. Capital obsessed. Okay. But anyways. Why are you so obsessed with me? Okay, anyways. <laughs> so anyways, I was, I was a little scared about things that are kept from us, and I had those weird dreams. So... That brings me to uh, the UFO crash. So on June 14th, 1947, right outside Roswell, New Mexico. My dad was three years old. <laughs> oh, yeah, he was. Wait, when? What, what? 47? No, what month? June 14th. Oh, okay, he was two, almost three. Yeah. So right outside of Roswell, New Mexico, a rancher named W.W. Brazil, who George also Bush. went by, right? <laughs> George W. Bush. www.com. www.rancher. Um, he also went by Mac, so I'll be calling him Mac for the rest of this, because who doesn't want to call someone Mac? <laughs> so he was driving across their ranch land with... In a Mac truck? Yeah, in a Mac <laughs> truck. I don't know. They actually didn't specify, specify what it is, but if he's a rancher, it's probably some type of Ford... Mack truck. I don't know. Something. 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 Probably a Chevy. 
Yeah, something that can get through Probably that Probably a Ford, because Ford came after for a little bit. Anyways, continue. Anyways, so he was driving around his ranch land with his son, Vernon. So you know they're old, because... Nobody uses that name anymore. Yeah, <laughs> that's an old man's name. Anyways, while they were driving, they encountered something neither had seen before. In Mac's own words, he said, quote, a large area of bright wreckage made up of rubber strips, tinfoil, and rather tough paper and sticks. So this metallic looking lightweight fabric was shredded and scattered across par- part of his ranch. Such as on the land. Yeah. So Mac, not knowing what to do, he ends up collecting a bit of the wreckage um, and he that he could find. And on July 4th, that's when he collected it, it takes him till July 7th, so three days later, he drives it to Roswell, because remember he's a little outside Roswell. Um, I didn't write it here, but I think it was about 80 miles, mm. oh, which wow. is a bit far. far. Yeah. So then three days later, he drives it to Roswell, where he delivers his findings to their sheriff, George Wilcox. Seeking answers, the sheriff contacted a Colonel Butch, he goes by Butch, Blanchard, and he was commander of the Roswell Army Airfield's 509th compost group that was located outside of the town. So the 509, they were tasked with the operational deployment of nuclear weapons, because this is around World War, World War II. So this is where, around the same time, Russia came out with the that they had an atomic bomb or whatever. So we had, of course, because we're American, we have to make our own stuff. And And not only that, but we had to also find a way to survey what the Russians were doing. Because that's just who we are. Gotta keep tabs on everybody. So the 509. So even Butch, the colonel, was at a loss for an explanation and he decided to contact his superior who was General Roger W. Ramey and he was the commander of the 8th Air Force in Fort Worth, Texas which if you are from Texas like we are mm-hmm. here's Texas Fort Worth is way the fuck over here and New Mexico is way the fuck over here yeah, so complete opposite side. Yeah. <laughs> not not like you're going a, down across, a, yeah, across the border of Texas of and Texas Mexico. and New Mexico, but you're going to the opposite Other end of our of Texas. pointy end of Texas. <laughs> so, he went that way. So, um let's just say Fort Worth is closer to Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. So, he reached out to him cuz he's like I got to get people on this. To figure out what the hell is happening so while he does that he also sent his major jesse marcel who ends up being like a prominent thing about the uh that has to do with the crash and all that cover up and other things that must have been days of a travel well um butch 
and then they're stationed in New Mexico. So already three days have passed from yeah. collecting this debris. Since the crash, to the collecting, to bringing it, and I'll get to it, but then we're going to be on July 8th before anything happens. So, which is only a day later. Mm. But anyway, so he not only reaches out to his superior, but he sends out his major, Jesse Marcel, who is intelligence officer from their base to investigate. Sheriff Will Wilcox and the rancher, Mac, along with Major Marcel, returned to the site which, at the ranch, ranch and collected all of the, quote, wreckage. So they cleared out everything. As they tried to understand what the materials were, Major Marcel chose to make a public statement. And on July 8th, his comments ran in the local afternoon newspaper, the, which was called the Roswell Daily Record. And alongside a headline stated, RAAF captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell. It becomes this big thing. He slaps it on a newspaper. So this would not only be the only um, unidentified aerial sighting, but that same summer that this is happening in July, more would come up. And by the end of 1947, in the span of six months, there would be more than 300 alleged, quote, flying saucer sightings that would be reported. And this ends up causing a mass hysteria and also set a global mindset because now everybody's thinking aliens are coming alien. yeah i see an alien and that's when we started the whole conspiracy thing tinfoil hats all that jazz and they even started having like you know how they have weather trackers those people that chase weather now you have people who are chasing sightings mm. and it's not just in new mexico it's everywhere and a lot of them besides new mexico was washington because um, that's where a lot of them came from, which you'll hear about some if you watch the committee one, the committee, Congress committee they just had. Mm -hmm. So shortly after the headline, though, the War Department in Washington claimed the debris collected from Max Ranch were remains. They, do, they claimed that those were remains from a weather balloon from a top secret project that they're working on called Project Mogul, which I didn't put it here, but I just thought it's so strange that you don't really, like, if I'm thinking about it from a perspective of the government, they, in my mind, they're thinking, let me cover up this event by making up that it's a top secret project. So then I can black tape it and be like, I can't discuss that it's a top secret mission. Blah, 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 blah. So you're kind of giving it away without giving it away by giving away a false other way. It's yeah. like, it's... Yeah. It's pretty much you're admitting trying to... to it, not admit it. You're trying to paint shit gold. Yeah, and you, it's, <laughs> you can't polish a turd. Yeah, it's not working. So... They even went as far as to have Mac, the rancher, take a picture of the, quote, collected debris, which in interviews with 
Mac's family members later on, um, they would go on to state that it was fake and that their father or grandfather, because they're older when they're talking about it. Oh, yeah. Um, he would tell his family that the government told him to hold this material and go along with it. But he didn't believe anything about what they were saying about the whole it's a weather balloon theory. And he even goes on to have interviews that year talking about how light this metal was, but it was also tough, like he couldn't bend it, but it was like the lightest thing he's ever felt. Nothing compared to tinfoil and shit like that. So it contradicts the whole weather balloon theory. So you're trying to, government is trying to take essentially their prime witness uh-huh. to this UFO sighting and get him to publicly say, you it know, was... you made this up, that it's really just this. Gaslighting him. Make him. But he's like, <laughs> no. But at the same time, he's like, I'm going to go along with it because these guys are scaring me. I mean, what can a farmer do? Yeah. Now you have these, like, quote, men in black mm-hmm. going around taking people and doing stuff. So he's just like, yeah, I'll take a picture. Let me hold all this. And I'll post it as one of the photos, but it literally looks like they just took tinfoil and some sticks. <laughs> They're like, take a picture with this. And he obviously, he, like, he looks like he's picking it up going, what the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> so... um, maybe in a barbecue? <laughs> Yeah, like, what the fuck is this supposed to be? So I was like, I have to put this picture in because it's just fucking hilarious. So about two years ago, so 2021, we came across, allegedly, my favorite word, a journal. That's going to be the title of this episode. (laughs) Allegedly. A journal that belonged to Major Marcel, who was... They found Butch, his diary. <laughs> yeah. Which Butch sent out to collect the debris and stuff. So he worked with Butch um, and the rancher. Mm. So apparently this journal belonged to him. And it's being studied not only because it, you know, it really doesn't have anything written about Roswell in it. Um, but around August 31st, which is my birthday, but in 1947... We see a change in his handwriting and overall style of his writing. So, Major Marcel, he writes in like this beautiful cursive, right? And then around the noted time, uh, around August 31st, his writing becomes more of this blocky and sporadic, not making sense writing. And I'll post a picture. It's literally like the most beautiful cursive. Mm -hmm. And then even on the same page, there's one page where it says another date and it's just like this ugly fucking handwriting. Makes no sense. And it's uncertain if it's the same person writing the journal or even if that it is the same person, but completely different mindset. So the writing itself too changes so before he's talking about like how he's feeling what he's doing because it's a it's a military journal and so he's collecting talking about his thoughts and everything he's doing and then when it changes it's 
more like on this day I decided to not mm-mm. even um it's like a the guy that was talking about it he said it's like a reader's digest but when he started talking about it have you ever seen chicken or whatever it is the chicken soup books so it would be I've like heard of them, but I haven't. yeah so it would be like quotes and things like heartwarming so it's like he's putting in like for example he didn't write this but just to give you an example of what I'm talking about um after the rain uh, a rainbow appears like shit like that so it's like those kind of weird keyword like metaphors yeah or like little some like, of them are metaphors some are just like affirmations and shit like yeah that. like it's very strange yeah <laughs> um that's weird so it goes from like how he's feeling to feeling just what like he's saying day to day things like weird... yes mm. and the handwriting is totally different it's like two different people are writing this so some from all accounts um this journal was also kept with allegedly all of roswell theories from major marcel so not only does he have his case files from the crash site and everything else dealing with roswell but he also has his journal sitting sticking in there and mind you these journals they're about like this you know they're those small little hand pocket journals so he has it hidden in there one that they put in like their breast pocket yeah like and on the cover it's like military looking and then the rest it's just like little papers that you write so it's hiding in there the theory is that this could either be some type of key like he's writing to himself to that's like maybe an undercover meaning behind what he's writing like kind of like a code kind of like the first letter of every sentence is a new is a leads a new sentence or some shit or like something that, that like in between something that's just for him I like the storm clouds which mean this is coming and rainbow means some other shit ufos mm-hmm. so it could be something that just means something to him to him particularly or maybe to somebody that could transcribe it maybe because i don't really go into it because I really want people to, yeah, and I really want people to go to the museum, and I'm going to talk about that next. But there's sightings that are said to have seen hazmat suits carrying out bodies, and then the government covers up saying that it's dummies um, that are... Test dummies. Test dummies. And I'm like, why the fuck do you have test dummies with weather balloons, but whatever... So it has all the stuff. So maybe he's writing like they really were people and he's writing these things, hiding information that he can come to the press with later. Or it could just be ramblings of a madman, of a madman <laughs> that's seen an alien. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we really don't know. Um, and unfortunately, we'll never know. But they're still technically going through his journal and trying to figure stuff out. But also, this was two years ago, and we still haven't heard anything since. Mm. And I got this off of history. Mm-hmm. So, I haven't seen anything recently. Mm. But if you visit Roswell, New Mexico, people, today, 
There are attractions to visit, especially if you enjoy aliens. Mm -hmm. They opened uh, not too long afterwards. I think it was like 1994. They opened the International UFO Museum and Research Center, which I have visited. And they do focus more on the Roswell crash in 1947. But they do touch on things like crop circles and the famous Area 51 and other UFO sightings around the world, but they primarily, which I don't hold it against them because it's located there, but they primarily focus on what happened in New Mexico. Um, but I find it so cool because even the local Walmart has like alien paintings on their walls and they even have their famous McDonald's that is shaped like an alien flying saucer. Oh, that's cool. I, I love it. Oh, it's like right on fucking Main Street. I ate there. Um, the inside's like a normal fucking McDonald's, but the outside, it's it's so cool. It's, so cool. it's a silver UFO, and then on the sides of the wall, because it just it looks like it's crashing into a building. Oh, type that's thing. Cool. And on the side of the wall, it's a mural that they made, and it's like spacecraft and aliens. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. I highly recommend it. 10 out of 10, the food's still Would shit. <laughs> 10 out of 10. You pay for what you get. But, um, so they the have shit. that. And then just in general, the whole Main Street um, is just alien themed with different smaller museums and gift shops um, that don't disappoint. There's one that I absolutely loved that I went into. It's technically a museum but they let you take pictures and it's more like photo op opportunities. I got to, they're like different themes and I sat in like a 90 or 60s booth with an alien eat, drinking a fake milkshake. Um, <laughs> it's like really cute. That's so cool. And then they have like um, an alien mom with hair curlers um, doing like laundry oh, yeah. like and I'm sitting clothes. there like, like screaming and then there's one where the dad's like mowing and just like pretending it's hot outside and I'm drinking some lemonade and then they have like this full-on um experimental lab and you can pretend like you're cutting into an alien which was kind of oh, gross but cool. and it's mind you cheaply made but, still, but I still love it <laughs> so if we ever go I'm gonna make you go in there I Honestly, I enjoyed that more than I did the museum and the museum like they even have an alien there that you can't really touch but you can look it's at. It's behind a glass wall. I saw yeah. It. And it looks kind of real. It's the one that it, they used in the movie The Sixth Sense, I believe. Yeah. It looks a lot better than the ones that are at this museum that I'm mm -hmm. talking about. But that one it's more funny. Yeah, because you're <laughs> And and I was like like when I was writing this and I was thinking about it, I was like, I could take pictures here with Stefan. This shit is so funny. <laughs> but um, anyways, though this case is technically closed, there is much more to the cover up and theories on the Roswell crash. And I definitely recommend visiting, Ro visiting Roswell if you get the chance and experience it for yourself. And there's more that I would like to have covered but a lot of it is in the museum, which they do an excellent job. They even have right when you walk in um, this whole, it's like right when you walk in, you kind of come around the corner. There's this whole like setup with a fake um, 
UFO and some aliens standing there, and they talk about the whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. helps kids understand better, I guess, because they're not going to go around and read. So it kind of just talks to you about it. And I'm just, like, staring there at the alien, trying to see if it does anything, but it really doesn't. But I did stare at it real hard. <laughs> You're like, fucking I'm like, move, are you going to blink? Are you going to turn your head? But no, the only thing that kind of turns, it doesn't really, but the lights go on and off, mm. flickering of the, the thing, and then they have fake smoke, and it goes on like every 10 minutes or so, and talks about the whole story. So I will leave that as a little nugget to hopefully encourage people to go visit this little tiny town. So not only because it's just the cutest thing ever, but to keep it going, because why not? That's fucking amazing. Keep kids interested. Keep yeah. Keep people interested. I mean, it's cool. Especially right now in this era that we're living in, that it's a thing. Like, everybody's talking about fucking aliens now. Why don't you go back to the original? And learn. Learn some history. The, learn the original cover-up. <laughs> Basically the original. Yeah, when I was telling you about that lady that I saw on that docuseries and they were covering the Roswell incident, there was this lady that I was talking about because, like, families came to the farm, too, mm -hmm. with this man, and they were, like, looking at the debris at what it was, and this little girl, she was about four, I think nine years old, she was looking at it, and she said that little metal tin that you were talking about, mm -hmm. she said you couldn't bend it or anything, mm -hmm. it was so hard, but if you turned it a certain way, you could crumple it to your palm, and then you let it go, and it re-expand to its shape. And, but it's super light. She said it's lighter than tin foil. I didn't know about the crumpling part, but yeah, Max says that it is the most lightweight. Like, he's describing the texture, the feel. That's why he was looking all kind of confused in the photo when he obviously he picked it up and it literally is just... It wasn't even tin foil. It was... Um, like painted plastic? No. What's that... Um, what's that material that... That we would use for like um, an air balloon. Oh, like latex or not latex, but like cotton. No, you know how like people put on those outfits oh, to like, like a sauna to polymer. What is it like rayon? Yeah, it's like very flappy. Yeah, and he was just like, "The fuck is this?" So when he first held it, it's the most lightweight, but firm smooth but he didn't talk about how he can crumble it i think he was probably too afraid to do that but i can see a little girl playing or just it. kids in general i don't know curiosity. if it was that thing she was playing with or if it was another thing that she crumpled up and then it like re-expanded itself and whatnot she said it could turn and fit in your palm and like crunch up and then she let it go and it re-expanded to about like two feet wide or some shit like that Mm. And she said that when the police officer or, like, the government people came down and whatnot, she was talking about it, and she was like, what about the alien, or, like, the alien stuff, or, like, the metal or special stuff? Like, she got threatened by, like, the head whatever guy. Like, he was like, listen, you better stop talking about this or we'll hurt your family. He said this to this little girl, and she's like, oh, shit. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, now the government's like... Oh, yeah, here's, like, half the stuff we covered up. We're not going to give you all of it. But, but a lot of it is because Congress is, since the whistleblowing and all that, are trying to uncover as much as they can for the people. 
I mean, to cover their ass, let's really. Let's be honest. If Congress is, or if the government's listening, trying to be protective, you're not helping us. Well, not only that, but I feel like there has to be a medium, because yeah, you're doing it to protect not cause, us, like, like panic, panic, whatever. But do it better. I mean, we've had people in the Air Force that they talk about. There's even memorials, um, plaques Mm -hmm. of armed forces that have, quote, died mysteriously. Or um, one, I forgot his name right now. Um, He has a memorial plaque because he, I think it was over in Washington, um, died chasing a UFO that he saw because he was in one of those pilot jets and he saw it phasing really quick and he turned his jet to go after it after it and he crashed into like a mountain or something Mm. um and they even put on the plaque that he was chasing a ufo sighting like they put that in there uh i just feel like i just wish they wouldn't cover it up as much like yeah I, i get that we would panic but they don't have to be so rough because you see it all the time like when people come up to like area 51 or close to it and they're like really forceful and sometimes they even shoot at people yeah that killing them um yeah well i mean i used to have this worker i'm not gonna say their name they used to live in uh nevada Mm-hmm. And they said that where Area Fifty One is. Mm-hmm. Um, he used to live there for a while when he was a kid too. When he lived there, there's a certain part that people say um, the government or something like that works really close in that area too. And when you're moving in there, they come up to you and they tell you they're like, "Hey, if you're ever in this area, you may see these certain individuals that are different." And if so, do not approach them, but also don't antagonize them. And if they come up to you, simply walk away. And people are theorizing, conspiracy theories believe that they might be the tall whites that are like stuck there. They can't leave. So they're like stuck there and they let them have that piece of land or stay on that piece of land. And whatnot, and that they've been there since Roswell, or not? Yeah, Roswell. No, Roswell happened in Mexico. They've been there since another crash or something of the sort. And he's told me stories about that, and I'm like, I don't know if I believe him because he's got crazy eyes. But <laughs> um, he's a little crazy, and he's an artist, and he worked with a bunch of chemicals. But <laughs> um, he told Sniffing me stories a lot like of that. <laughs> stripper <Yeah>. paint. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Honestly, um, but. Uh, Yeah, he told me stories of that, and then when he was younger, how they used to go to trips, and there was one point where him and his friend were biking on this uh, trip as they were kids, and they went in this field, and then they saw a big fucking cigar come out of a mountain, it looked like the shape of a cigar, floating out of a fucking mountainside, and then they were like, what the fuck are we looking at? Which, there have been, um... When I was doing my deep dive, there have been sightings of aircrafts or it looks to be aircraft because it's floating, shaped like cigars. And that's when they they changed it from like aerial to 
um, acrimonial or whatever they word they use because one of them came out of the ocean. Mm. So yeah, and he was telling me that, and then he was saying another thing was they were biking again, and they were in the field playing around while their friend groups, I believe, were going along with the group because they were going like a trip into like the forest area close to where the government was at. Like they were Are stationed. They yeah. White people would be crazy. And uh, they were going on this little field trip to the into the nature side, and then they went off playing on their bikes into this field, and they were getting ready to leave, and then out of nowhere, like I want to say, like a good hundred, like six hundred feet in front of them, and they said like it seemed like they could ru- like drive like ride their bikes up to it. This giant fucking orb of like he said it looked like the sun was right in front of them they could feel the heat and like he said it was so hot and they saw the leaves the grass under it were like blowing but they weren't burning but it looked like a giant ball of fire and he said that him and his friend freaked out like the instant they saw it and rode their bikes back with the family and when they saw that the um national guard whatever came down from their little post wherever they're at and they were like hey sorry we're gonna have to get you off the ground something happened and it's not safe out here right now so their trip got canceled and the teacher was asking questions and the park rangers were even being talked to from the national guard or whatever and they had to get um pushed on back onto the bus and leave and so yeah it's really interesting hearing these stories and i'm like i don't know what's true i don't know what's not true i don't know if i should believe an artist that looks got crazy eyes <laughs> but um do i believe in aliens obvi i mean come on we're not the only things out there you got to be very naive to believe we're the only thing existing in this entire universe that's still expanding because if we we can have life on our planet why can't there be some type of other life on a different planet and we don't know what's past a certain point. There's mm-hmm. so much, just like the ocean, that we have not discovered. Mm-hmm. There are, the, like, what did Neil deGrasse Tyson say? There are more stars in the universe than there are sands on our beaches. So, yeah, what's revolving around those stars, aside from ours? Honestly. So, yeah, it's really interesting to hear that. Thank, did you come for my side? Yeah, just a little. Oh, my God. I so love I was like, you know, Stefan's going to be covering part two of Lizzie. And that's mine. So I'm going to take his. And then I was like, what should I talk about? I'm not really into the ghosty shit. And I did start looking up some paranormal things. And then it hit me. I was like, I should do something strange. And I came across um, like some pictures of when I was in Roswell. And I was like why the fuck am I not talking about aliens? And I was like, wait, Stefan just talked about aliens. And I was like, yeah, but he focused more on this incident that happened in Zimbabwe. Cause I went back and I listened. Cause I was like, let me make sure. Cause I don't remember him talking about Roswell. And then I was like, I'm going to talk about Roswell. Cause I was like, he even said, this is a good segue in. So I was like, well, we could talk about, we could bring up a subject again and then talk about a different thing. And I was like, why not bring up, one of the most important pieces of, pieces of the history. Roswell incident, you know? It's 
a big part of history. Like, not to say, like, the Zimbabwe one wasn't, because I never heard about it, but everybody's heard about Roswell. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really heard it on a podcast yet, which you'll probably tell me that it is on one, because that usually happens with, like, all the stories I talk about. Um, I personally haven't heard anyone cover it, surprisingly, because Roswell's, like, the one. Yeah. But I think everybody doesn't want to touch on it because it's been covered up so... Deeply. That's why I kind of, like... I'm just going to talk about a little. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to bring up the fa- the basic facts. Because mm-hmm. there are so, so much, like... Theories. So much. Things. And then I just went into this whole... Rabbit hole. Rabbit hole of other <laughs> encounters. And I was like, Roswell, Roswell. I can't look at Washington right now. I can't look at this. I can't look at that. <laughs> that's crazy. But One yeah. thing that's actually interested me for a minute about aliens, like tells about aliens and conspiracy theories, is one called the Phoenix Lights. Have you heard of it? Um, I feel like I did come across it, but I just skipped it because I was like, yeah, I don't want to look at you right now because I knew I was going to get more into it, but I did see it come up. It's one Um, of the UFO sightings. With the Phoenix Lights, I will say this. I haven't, like, heard much of it another podcast did cover it called the last podcast on the left i think they brought it up briefly for a little bit but um when they brought it up several celebrities flying in their airplanes were talking about this event and they were like yeah we were on airplanes and we looked out our window and you could see it right there like they were flying their plane their plane when did it happen it happened in 1997 okay oh yeah yeah. So, yeah. Um, so it's really interesting. This is one that I'm actually interested in. I might cover it, and you just reinterested me into it. Do so it. Do it. I might bring it up again after we do our special 30 episode. <laughs> yes. Um, wow. Thank you, Christina. I hope you're. You don't mind that I. No, come for my game. I don't care. And brought I was like, well, you already talked about aliens, and I was like, yeah, but you talked about just this incident and there's so many now i know there's a lot oh the because at first because at, at first i was like yeah i can bring up roswell but then i could touch on these other bases and i was like <laughs> but then I, w- I went and looked at a couple and i was like fuck no these are like their own episodes because it's so much like i don't i didn't even want to put as much as i wanted because i started you know i typed my shit up and i'm sitting there typing and i'm like Oh, no, if I go into that subject, that's going to be a whole page. <laughs> delete. <laughs> and highlight and delete. And we're going to sum this up in two sentences. There we go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I wonder if you can go to the farm that the crash happened for Roswell. Well, here's the thing. I looked up to see where it was, and they will not disclose the actual location. They just keep saying 80 miles north east or northwest from Roswell but they don't specify where and some say northwest and some say northeast which if you know directions it's completely opposite (laughs) you're literally east is this way west is this way so it's like do I go left and go down the way that way or do I go right and go or right left whatever and go way down that way does the family still own the farm or do they They didn't talk farm? about it they just talked about um i don't even think they knew about the farmland because when i was when i was 
watching their interviews with history, um, they were just talking about the famous photo of, mm. of their grandfather or father taking the picture. They don't talk about the ranch. And I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, it ends up being taken over by the government. So they bought them out or just pushed them out? Yeah. Which then, while I was looking into this, I was reading about another incident. Um, but I don't know if I want to categorize it as UFO. It's more of a phenomenon. But I want to say that for another podcast because when I pulled up the story, I was like, this isn't really... Alienish. Alienish. The only thing that's the same is it's another ranch hand kind kind of person in the middle of buttfuck nowhere. Which then I was like, I'm a little jealous because I live in buttfuck nowhere and nothing happens with me. With alien. I mean, do you want a little alien <laughs> fucking with your shit? I mean, I hear shit all the time. <laughs> I mean, hello. More noise? Let's add another animal to my yeah. RV. Well, <laughs> animal. Well, then you know I'm gonna be moving in with you, so they can live there. And they'll have the fourth bedroom. <laughs> they can stay in the studio. Just don't fuck with our pod. <laughs> they can guest star. Yeah. Which then I thought it was funny because um, when I was when I looked up to see what episode you talked about it, I was like looking at the covers, you know, and I was like. Oh, no, this says alien. And then it hit me. I was like, he brought up aliens with Greg. And then I saw it was episode 10. And we titled it episode 10, special guest, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow, that was episode 10. And we're about to hit 30. And we haven't had another special guest. <laughs> yeah. Just so saying. Sad. I mean, come on, guys. Give us something. Help us out. I know. I just hope that whatever aliens are listening... That they come and it not be scary or death related. Let's just hang out and smoke or eat some gummies. Watch a watch superstar. Yeah. If you want to probe me, I'm sexually deprived, so you can probe me all you want. I don't know what you're gonna get out of there. Yeah. (laughs) You can have an egg. (laughs) You have whatever you want, baby. (laughs) Just make it feel good. (laughs) We'll do uh, Fifty Shades of Alien. He's got them fingers. Maybe mm. his would light up. <laughs> Give me a oh, warm I touch. I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, yeah, that's really cool. I'm scared of aliens, but also interested in... I think... I don't. It's that fear of the unknown. I'm more scared of the government versus the aliens. Yeah. Honestly, because I feel like... Don't get me wrong. Aliens gonna come here. They're either gonna want information from you, or they're gonna try and study you. Or which I don't know what you would get from me, but good luck. <laughs> Honestly, you couldn't get that from the neighbor. But yeah. like, come on, that's about it. They're, they they want to acclimate, or they want to learn, or maybe they're here to kill you. But why would an alien want to kill us? That makes no sense. And why? I mean, they're not America. They're not going to go. Um, why just, like, a few come and land? If you're going to murder, do, like... A, a fleet of ships yeah, about, aliens? I, I was about to go marvel on you and be like, Thanos that bitch with exactly. your whole army and genocide some humans, you know? Exactly. Don't just send, like, Don't just four send people t- to fuck up a town yeah. for nothing. What are they going to get out of Roswell? I know. <laughs> 
kill all the goats and cows for their strength. I don't know. Honestly, like, <laughs> what does this farmer need to have that the, he's got a good John Deere tractor we need? <laughs> We don't have a social security number to get a credit card with Home Depot. We just know we need to be far from Mexico. Because <laughs> they don't like aliens. So, yeah, I mean, I just don't get it. And, like, I oh. get the government's trying to protect us and whatnot. But, like, I feel like there are easier routes you can take versus just gaslighting us into believing it's, like, a weather balloon or, like, a floating hat in the wind or, like, a cigar. Yeah. Sorry, there's like a human out there slowly walking. Oh, they have a dog. Okay. It just looks weird in the slats. So I thought it was an like alien. A creeper. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, me, I'm thinking about serial killers. <laughs> the door is locked. The door is locked. You ain't coming in. But why are you walking your dog at three in the morning? Probably dog was scratching. Maybe. I mean, I'm letting my dog out when I get home to yeah. potty. <laughs> um,. But thank you, Christina. Oh my gosh, this is the second time I'm saying sorry. Thank you, I'm Christina. You can thank me all you want. Or whatever biggest fans, Christina's gonna be like, oh, hurry up, Steph. <laughs> if you're gonna end it, end it, bitch. <laughs> okay, <laughs> bye guys. Thank <laughs> Just you kidding. so much. Um, thank you, Christina. That was a good. That was a good tell. Um, and thank you for yours. Aliens. Right. I can't wait to hear about these uh, Phoenix lights. Um. Yeah. So can't wait to get to the next episode for you guys to hear i know so we're gonna do another collab oh my god so get ready for that guys um it's gonna be a big one but we're not gonna say anything because you're gonna learn the day of we ain't gonna set ourselves up for failure because what if we change our mind last minute no, i'm just kidding exactly <laughs> i mean honestly maybe <laughs> anyways thank you guys for listening Thank you. Love you. Love you. Like, follow, share, subscribe. Send in your stories. Send in your stories. Tell us how you, what you thought of deeper or deeper. Between the darkness. Between the darkness. And that's it. Peace out. Bye. Love you. Bye. Get railed. Get railed. Rub it out. And when in doubt.